Today's podcast is brought to you by one of our awesome sponsors, New Belgium. One of their beers, Voodoo Ranger IPA, is a favorite here at the Creative Convergence. Voodoo Ranger IPA is perfectly balanced with notes of guava, mango, and pineapple with a delicately bitter finish. For beer news and occasional mediocre advice, follow at Voodoo Ranger on Twitter and Instagram, where you will hear about what's new and where you can find Voodoo Ranger near you. Voodoo Ranger IPA. Drink responsibly. Live rangerously. Welcome to the Creative Convergence, an audible nexus of the creative arts. I'm your host, Candace Devine. Join me in conversation as we discuss the journey creatives take on their path to success. Welcome to another fantastic episode of The Creative Convergence. Today we have Zach Reynolds as our guest. Growing up, Zach learned how to play every instrument under the sun, from guitar and piano to oboe. After getting a marketing degree from Arizona State in 2009, he decided to make the pivot to music and moved to Boston to study music production and engineering at Berklee College of Music. Immediately out of school, he landed a job at the legendary Henson Studios in Los Angeles. After only a year on the West Coast, he relocated to Nashville and eventually ended up at the Sound Emporium as a staff engineer. It was at the Sound Emporium that he got to work with legendary producers, artists, and engineers from all over the world, ranging from Orville Peck and Daniel Donato to India RE and Cage the Elephant. If you'd like to learn more about Zach Reynolds, please see our show notes for links to his social media accounts and website. Welcome to the podcast. I am so excited about our guest today because this man is brilliantly funny. And not to put you any pressure on you, Zach, but like if you're not funny the rest of the hour, it's okay. I'll just explain to people in real life you are. Uh, but um, yeah. I, I have the the wonderful, immense pleasure of working with Zach personally on a on an EP that I did. And he's a genius and he made me sound incredible. And I begged him, although I was so glad it didn't take a whole lot of arm twisting. You actually just said yes right away because you're a good human to be a guest today. So thank you for being here, Zach Reynolds. Oh yeah, I'm I'm stoked to be here. Thank you. I'm glad it worked out. <laughs> I know. Um, and you're an Arizona native, right? Uh, yeah. Or we, most of your life native, kind of. Yeah, I was. I mean, I guess I was born on Long Island. Okay, good. Let's there. start there. That's my first question. Okay. Where were you born? What was your family like? Tell me about the years of zero to five, six. Zero. Okay. Um. Well. So yeah, I was born on Long Island. Um. Like Melville is the town that like my house was in. Um. I don't know. There's two counties on the island. I don't know which one it was. Um, and But yeah, when I was pretty young, my parents decided they wanted to move somewhere where the weather doesn't suck or that they didn't <laughs> hate it. Different kind of weather, uh, and some, yeah. Yeah, and so somehow they ended up in Arizona. And uh, anyways, uh, we moved there when I was like eight. Oh, okay. Uh, so you spent a decent amount of your younger years in the uh, Yeah, like, I, like Arizona is my home for sure. Yeah. But I uh, moved there super young. Um like, I don't know how much time you spend in Phoenix, but like the 101 didn't exist yet. You know, all like the yeah. main like freeways w where we moved was like outside of town. And then by the time I graduated high school, it was like, no, that like is town. Yeah, it, be, uh, it, it grew around you. For sure. Um, so, yeah, Arizona is definitely my home. And I, I was there essentially until like 2009. 
Okay. Um, well, let's back up. Let's go back to those younger years and then kind of keep trucking. As a little ty- little tyke, a little it, guy, it, were you a creative type of kid? Were you a musically interested kid? Were you a sports kid? Were you a bookworm? No, not uh, definitely, definitely not a sports kid. Yeah. I mean, I, I had to, I was on like a soccer team when I was like six or seven, you know, like a little peewee thing. Um, and then I, I played on my middle school basketball team, but I was never like an athlete. I was like, oh, they just let me like, you know, <laughs> like I get a even, participation even, award. <laughs> yeah. And like, even in high school, I did like track and cross country and I hate running, but they <laughs> don't kick anybody off the team. Like as long as you show up. And I just did it to, like, help me get into a good school. Oh, my um, gosh. You're like, I know how to find the loopholes and play the system. <laughs> yeah, I, I, uh, yeah, I guess. And um, But, no, like, so uh, I don't know exactly how young I was, but everyone in my family, like, like had to get piano lessons. My mom had a, really? like a five-foot. Yeah, my, my mom had a five-foot Yamaha in the house. So, like, like a baby grand, I guess. She's like, I'm a, not a letting seat. this go to waste. My children will learn this. Do you have siblings? Yeah, I mean, how many siblings? I have two older brothers. Okay. They're 10 years older than me. Oh, wow. Um, and Were you a, yeah, so oh, we, wow, he's coming, child. <laughs> yeah, I think so, yeah. <laughs> and, and, uh, so, yeah, we all had to do that. And, like, it wasn't, it didn't, like, click with any of us. And right. then my older brothers also did, like, trumpet or trombone. I took trumpet lessons also for a year or two. Like, when we would switch schools, like, oh, I took violin lessons for a couple of years. And then yeah. I would move over here. And maybe that wasn't, like, offered in my grade. So, uh, uh, so cool. Like I did trumpet and then I wanted to be unique for some reason. <laughs> and so I took oboe lessons for two years. Oh yes. That would make you the yeah. unique kid for sure. Yeah. I, I want, <laughs> I remember I, I remember I wanted to get like to rent a bassoon from like the, you know, the citywide like instrument rental place. Um, uh, but my school started like two weeks later than the rest of like the town schools. So all the weird stuff was gone. Well, the bassoons were gone. <laughs> I still played oboe. It probably sounded terrible. It definitely sounded terrible. <laughs> um, I don't know why my parents put up with it. But, but so your parents school- encouraged the musicality. Oh, yeah. No, it was a big deal. Like, yeah. they were... Are they musical? Uh, Do they play? My, uh, I, my dad had a acoustic guitar that he played probably when he was in late high school and college that he held on to. It's an old Gibson acoustic uh I don't have it here. I want to get it. Yeah. I want to get it from my dad's closet. <laughs> Girl, I want it real bad. <laughs> yeah, it's cool. It, like, it doesn't sound amazing, but it's very nostalgic. And it's, uh, totally. it's this old F-hole acoustic. It's called an L48. Um, and it just sounds cool. And I just that's what I learned how to play guitar on. And yeah. like, I started learning to play guitar freshman year of high school. And that was the first instrument that like really clicked. Um, everything else was like a chore. And this was like, no, I like my parents had to like peel me away from it. Really? So at that point, were you the kid that did at any, in that time of your life, sorry, I'm fumbling over my words. Did you want to or think about being a musician professionally in any way? Or were you like the kid that's, I'm going to go start a band or I'm going to be John Mayer? Like, what was your... (laughs) Uh, uh, I I was in a couple bands in high school. Um, Like, super fun. Like, band practice was the highlight of my week, but we were not good by any means. Like, uh, the drummer was the best part. He and he he still lives in Scottsdale. He's still there. We talk every day. Surprisingly. Oh, what's his name? His name is Anthony Mangan, and he's out there. And um, is he still a drummer? Uh, he drums. He does, and like he does electronic music and all this stuff. Cool. He does a bunch of things. Um, but yeah, it, uh, I don't. When I was in high school, it definitely didn't. Unless no, there was no way. 
I didn't think there was any way I would take music seriously, like for a career. Right, okay. Like when I, uh, I wasn't looking to go to a music school. I wasn't looking to study music in college. Um, I was like, that's going to be a dead end. Like there's no re and wow. also I wasn't, I didn't, I, I took weekly lessons from like a, a dude in a guitar shop all throughout high school. Uh, but I never learned like what you would need to do to play guitar in like a jazz band, you know, like in your high school jazz right. band. Like you never broke through to more of a proficient, like I could play this no, or I could play that and I can do anything anywhere kind of a level. No, not at the time. It was mostly, I would just learn, like I learned uh, every U2 song <laughs> and then I learned every Led Zeppelin song and like I would go through phases and like uh, learn about a new thing and just learn everything that guitarist did. But it wasn't, and I knew how to read music from like my other like instruments I learned, but yeah. uh, learning how to sight read on guitars, that's the hardest. Yeah. You're talking uh, so to anyways, somebody who doesn't know how to do that, so I'm just agreeing it, it, because... Well, I've... it's hard. Like, piano, like, when you're... Uh, like, you see a note on a piece of paper to play piano, like, there's one spot to play that note. Correct. But on guitar, there could be, you know, four spots, maybe, depending where it is. And so right. you kind of have to know, like, okay, if I'm playing around here, it's a, it's a, it's a more involved process. So um, did you think... It's so funny. I love hearing that you had this clarity of like, oh, I loved it. It was the highlight of my week. I took the lessons. I did the things. But I in no way thought it would be my career. No. no I, yeah. It, and even like when I so I first went to college at the University of Michigan. I didn't so know what I wanted. So let's stop there really quickly because I'm curious. Was your family at this point, were they like college is a must or were they? Oh, yeah. Oh, no, there was no question. Yeah. Like my dad... You know, he was an optometrist, and he was oh, he had an optomet optometry degree. Um, but no, he was a businessman. Uh, yeah. I mean, he's insanely supportive of me. Um, but no, they were like, you should study something that's going to help you out because when my brothers uh, went to college, they went to college. Um, I think they graduated uh, right before nine eleven or mm. so, somewhere around there. So like they, uh, I remember one of my brothers. For, they, if not both of them, studied anthropology because they thought it was fascinating. You know, they they just liked reading about it, and you know, it like, is fascinating. But then the yeah. next step is, what do you plan on doing with that? Yeah, and especially <laughs> there was a big, there was like a market collapse then, right? And so I think before that, like in the '90s, like if you went to a good school and you studied anything and you did well, like you could at least get an interview, if not get hired at like. Like, if you want to work on Wall you Street, You had a cool. college degree. So at the very least, you could get entry level somewhere. Yeah, and, like, it, and it would be great. And then when 9-11 happened and, like, the markets were shook, um, that wasn't really the case. Yeah. You know what I mean? They're like, oh. So it, it was instilled in me. It was like, no, you need to go and learn about whatever, like, thing you think you might want to do. Go, like, go get something useful. That's so um, interesting that within a decade, roughly, like there's a shift in the in the outlook of it because of the way the generation before had lived through their own experiences. Yeah, I, well, it's like, it, and it swings back around because basically, you know, my oldest brother, he ended up getting a law degree and then he became a lawyer and it's he was miserable. Like he was yeah. a lawyer in, in Manhattan. That happens. And, you know, fancy, and that should be great. You fancy schmancy, but you, it's, Why it isn't sucks, that awesome? Yeah, it sucks to live a life you don't love. Yeah, so, and I, I, maybe I'm putting words in his mouth, but I, I also. <laughs> I'm going to get a call on this podcast. I, I, I mean, I'm going to, I'll share, him, I, he's definitely going to see like a link to this. But, uh, <laughs> but also no, because to be completely honest, when he would hear that I had friends from high school that were talking about wanting to go to law school, he would be like, no. 
Like, don't do that. Let It'll me tell you suck why your you, soul. Yeah, let me tell you why your dreams are wrong. Yeah, you know what I mean. And and then uh, the the other brother, like the middle brother, he got uh, like an MBA um, from a great school, and it was still really hard because then that was like 2008 or yeah. something. So my years might be a little bit off, but I remember he got his MBA, did really well, and then the 2008 recession happened. Right. And once again, so now like, unless you were like the the number one dude from like Harvard, like right. no one cares. Right. So at that point, I am now like um, I had left Michigan because I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, I transferred back to Arizona. So State. you started at Michigan because I cut you off as you started to say that. Oh, uh, sorry. Yeah. So I started at Michigan. Um, I was like, what uh, drew you there? Very, both my brothers went there. Oh, OK. And and it was the best school that I applied to that I got in. Yeah. I you know, I applied like all over and, and then um they, I got in, and Michigan is a fantastic school, especially totally. if you know what you want to do, and you can like, and you can buckle down and do it. It's awesome. Um, but I was like super idealistic when I went there. Um, I thought I could like save the world. Yeah, you know. Well, I hope we well, all try to think that still, but it does get it does it does disintegrate as you as you get yeah, into the- <laughs> I, I, it disintegrate like immediately. I yeah. got there and I I was like I'm going to do environmental science because it seemed like that was a thing that was like on the up and up, and I'm sure, it, yeah, it I'm makes sense. You but, didn't look at Prescott College. It yeah, <laughs> not even on my mind. Not even on my mind. Like. I didn't. I didn't seriously consider staying in our in state at first. Yeah, I was like, I need to get out of See town. See somewhere else. Yeah, and um, anyways, but environmental sciences, like those classes, I met some very smart people, like insanely smart people. Uh, but it was super depressing for me. Like, I, it didn't seem like they had solutions. Maybe I didn't make it that far into the major, but yeah. they're just like, these are all the reasons why everybody's going to die and you won't be able to breathe. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and if you have children, was, they're going to suffocate. So it's like, yeah. your, your whole life is doomsday. <laughs> and I, Yeah, I just couldn't spend... And so I kept changing, trying to figure it out. And then after my second year, or like, honestly, like beginning of my second year, I was just like, not, not feeling it. I was like, I'm just going to transfer back home where... Um, at the time, it was like essentially free. It was so cheap to go in state. If you graduated from a high school um, and had like above like a three zero, like yeah. a, a very, if you had a heartbeat and you graduated <laughs> and you wanted to, like, I, I think it was like a thousand dollars a semester. That's or something. amazing. You know, whatever it was was, and it was super easy, and rent was so cheap. I moved back home. I immediately moved in with three buddies, and we made a band. And we were able to have an extra bedroom in our house and a pool. And it was like $200 a month for rent. Oh, my gosh. Maybe $300. But, you know, like. Those were the days. Yeah, it was awesome. (laughs) So we would wait tables and then like a couple days a week at. uh, Do you guys have Pita Jungle? Near no, you? In Phoenix, but not up here yet. My mom like okay. harasses them. They, I think at some point they were like, "Lady, you're you're bothering us too much." Like, I, I mean, I, <laughs> I still bother them on Instagram because it would it would destroy like everyone here. It would oh be my so God, good, it's so good. So anyway, I'll have to reach the, out to the, them and ask them to be a sponsor. <laughs> there you go. Like, no. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was the life, and it was easy, and it was, and that was probably the first time I was able to be like very creative on a continuous basis. I had. Uh, that's when I was really in a band with that guy, Anthony, the drummer, and he just knew so much more than me about music. So he was pushing me to be better and just the music we were making, although it was insanely sloppy because like all and other than AJ, the rest of us were so sloppy, including <laughs> me, like mostly me. Um, 
But we were trying to be like innovative and new, and we were fascinated with Who that. Who did you and one sound thing, like, or what was your inspiration? We wished we wished we sounded like the Mars Volta. Oh, okay. Was, yeah. Yeah. Or that kind of, you know what I mean? Where totally. it's like odd time signatures, like how minor totally. and diminished can this like chord progression be? <laughs> how many weird things can we string together in a yeah. m- kind of functional way? Yeah, almost. Yeah. So, <laughs> and like, so it was, but it was fun. Totally. You know, we would play a couple shows. And at one point I was like, I just want to learn more about music. So um, I started talking to the, like the people at Arizona State to see if I could, like, what would I need to do to double major, even though I know there's, like, nothing related? And because uh, uh, to go back a step, I was studying... When I go to, when I went to ASU, I was like, I'm just going to do marketing. Because um, it's easy. Well, like, and it covers a lot easy. of ground, right? Marketing yeah, can be like, used in so many platforms. It's so vague, but it'll... Like, if I want to, it'll be like, oh, like, Zach got a business degree. Like, that's smart. But also, it's like, it was... I was always a mathy kid. The math was super easy. You know, it. You know, I didn't have to write a bunch of papers. Right. It was like, the best of all the worlds. It was probably supposed to be a lot harder than it was, but because um, I know people that studied finance at ASU. You, yeah. No, marketing was like the easiest part of, of like all the business school options. Yeah. And I was like, cool. So I'll do that. Um, but yeah, so I started talking to the ASU people. Like, how do I double major in marketing and music? Like, I don't care if it takes me an extra two years. Like, I can pay the tuition here. It do, you know, yeah. It, it yeah, let me like, get the most out of my education. Novel idea, yeah, right? Yeah, I was like, <laughs> I, when else can I do this? If I don't do this now, I'll figure it out. And I had, I could either wait tables, and I also had an internship at a marketing firm in Cave Creek, and so that was a drive. It was an yeah. hour there and an hour back. That's a, I was but, just gonna say that's kind of a bit of a commute, but it, yeah, you know. but the, it was a small thing, and the guys were super nice. Uh, and like my boss was super into rush. He gave me rush tickets. You know, like he was, uh, it was great. As far as marketing jobs went, it was about as good as it could get straight out of school. Uh, we did marketing research for like hard alcohol companies and like cell phone companies. So it's, it could have been a lot more boring. Totally. You know, uh, did ASU um, figure out, did they help you figure out a double major or was that not a thing? Uh, I was like in the process of applying and I was now taking lessons again from a teacher at ASU to like prepare me for the audition. Yeah. Because it's like, okay, I've been uh, at best, uh, you know, a B minus rock and roll guitarist, like at best. And now I have to, now I'm applying to like a jazz program. So I have to learn (laughs) like this different language. Right. And the way that that teacher was teaching it, it didn't really click with me. And I was going through like the, you know, the motions and, you know, practice this mode and, you know, learn these songs. But I didn't know how to, like, express myself on the guitar. And that's, like, the whole thing. You have to... It's about, like, communicating with different musicians. Absolutely. Um, but uh, maybe, like, a month before my audition, um, we lost our governor, right? Because Obama was elected. And he took... This is how my memory works. Yeah, no, this I, is and amazing because I, be, I, I didn't live here yet. So I would love to hear this part from your perspective. So I, I, I could be totally wrong. But in like my memory's version of reality, what happened was <laughs> like, sh- like you know, just like weeks before my audition, um, like Obama got elected. This is 2008 and or I guess two, early 2009 now, maybe. And he took our governor who was. Uh, I don't remember having any like extreme problems with her. No, Janet Napolitano. Oh, to, like right. be a, uh, to be part of his cabinet. And then there must have been a special election or whatever. I definitely didn't vote in it. I don't know. You know, <laughs> it was like before I really cared. I was like, 
Well, um, that opens a very interesting point. We've all become far more politically, you know, engaged, which I think is a positive throughout all the insanity that has happened. But this is a perfect relationship to yeah, when you're younger I, and you don't know and you're not paying attention and I don't know. Yeah. And, and so we lost Janet Napolitano, I believe. And I believe the person that came in was Jan Brewer. Right. And She's the finger shaker, right? Was she known for that? I, I couldn't tell you anything about her <laughs> other than I, I believe she cut education funding by like 40 percent, like maybe day one. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so ASU was like, OK, like we have to the only way like the easiest way for us to do this is to cut, you know, teachers from the art programs. Of course. You know, ASU's music school was really small. Um, and then it became like very tiny. Right. That being said, if you meet anyone that went through the ASU Music School, they're probably insanely talented. Yeah. Because um, basically, it was I was told um, I can still apply. Totally cool. Um, but I, if I'm the best, like guy who's auditioning for like the guitar teacher slot, because I would need to. You could study whatever, but you need to have instrumental lessons. Um, it would be like 18 months before I can get in. Oh, wow. So that changed so, the agenda. Yeah. And I was just like, okay, that's cool. Um, let me just apply to, like, I, I just had to, like, widen my scope. Yeah. Um, and one thing led to another. And I, I, like, became more aware of Berkeley College of Music. And so I applied there. I, I, I didn't know about... Um, now, were you looking at this as kind of like a graduate school program then? Or were you just looking to transfer again and add on to yeah, your BA? It, in my mind, I was treating it like graduate school. But Got it was definitely another like bachelor's degree. Got it. Um, and that's what I was doing. Um, I didn't know I was going to go there for recording. I, I thought I was applying there for like film scoring, like something to learn more about composition and like in a scope. Yeah, to get in, yeah. like to, I wanted to learn about how to write music and understand music that you don't get just from listening to rock records. Got it. So, yeah. um, anyways, uh, and, th and somehow I got in even after my audition. <laughs> I love your, somehow <laughs> I don't even know. I, how. I, 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 I mean, I did the thing that I, I had to do. Like, I think what's instilled in me or at least like in my, my family, my parents always pushed me to be like insanely overprepared. I mean, hence having this like, Anyways, this whole yeah, chain over here. People at home or listening don't know this, but Zach did show up as the true pro he is. He was like, I have this yeah. mic running through this system, and I have it going yeah. to Pro Tools, and I can email this hopefully to you. <laughs> <laughs> Hope, yeah, hopefully it sounds good. Um, but yeah, and so we, I found a teacher that went to Berkeley, and now he he's a jazz guitarist in the Phoenix area. He teaches at Mesa Community College, and he also... Um, I, he would often play shows at like the Desert Botanical Gardens and this yeah. and that. He was like the jazz guitarist in the scene um, of like Phoenix. Um, yeah. And he, I don't know if he's still giving lessons, but like Pete Pancrazy is the dude. Shout he definitely out. got me. Yeah, he got me 100% prepared to get to Berkeley. He was, he was the first person that was able to explain um, like how to think about playing music over like jazz progressions. So he understood uh, the way your brain worked in a better way than anyone else had. Like communicating yeah. the ideas and the concepts in a way you could grasp. Yeah, he was like beginning to publish these, like, his own books. And instead of, bef basically before I met Pete, everybody was just like, okay, you got to learn these scales and you got to learn these scales and here's all the scales in the world. You have to know all of them and every key and like everywhere all over the neck. Yeah. And it's like an infinite amount of work. It, the way that it was, you know, brought to me, I was like, oh my God, that's You're so like, much. I'll never and, conquer this. 
Yeah, and the way Pete was thinking about or was trying to explain it to me, uh, not to like, uh, if he hears this, maybe he'll be like super underwhelmed with my <laughs> description. But uh, he was like, no, it's, it's about like, look at the chords of each note like throughout the there's both like the chord progression and then there's also like what's kind of implied by the melody or how the melody relates to the chord and so he's just like learn how to play like the triads all over the neck yeah and and it's and the, so you know there's only four triads there's four shapes and then on guitar everything is it's like very pattern based like if you play like a c triad and then a d triad you just have to move your finger up two frets right you don't have to worry about like different you know, like hand positions, like on a piano. So he took the stress out of it for you. He made it yeah, feel it, doable. It was like, it made sense to me coming from like a math point of view of like everything is like on like a grid now. And I'm like, oh, I still had to practice and it was still about like you start with triads and then you add like the seventh note and then the ninth and just going through the chord and learning, okay, like if we're here and we're in with this chord, like these are like the extended tensions you could put on. Or and you can go like super deep with it, but he was, he taught me how to, you know, barely get by and then how to learn how to like express yourself more as you became more comfortable, like playing over a song. Yeah. He's like, but that's if you functional look at the playing like that is yeah. legitimate working functional playing. It's not just a bunch of theory being thrown at you in a, in a massive wall of information. Oh yeah. Like my, you have to do like an improv piece to yeah. apply to Berkeley, you go and you play some scales and you sight read and I like ruined the sight reading. <laughs> and then you have like a prepared piece and I, I I did something, I don't know if you, how familiar you are with like jazz standards. Um, fairly. Okay, so try I probably me, did like, I did like Blue Bossa or oh, something. Oh yeah. Yeah, you know, and it's, so it's like, it's about as easy as it gets. You know what I mean? <laughs> like there, there's one modulation in it and it's like really easy. I, I don't know it anymore, but, um, but he was... Anyways, I just played like straight eighth notes, but I was like like drawing out the chords with my solo. So yeah. like they knew that I understood what I was playing and that I might not be great, but I knew enough for them to teach me. Got it. Okay, everyone. Today's episode was recorded at and brought to you by Raven Sound Studio in historic downtown Prescott, Arizona. Raven Sound Studio is a professionally equipped audio production facility offering recording, mixing, and mastering services throughout northern Arizona and surrounding areas. Whether you are looking to cut a demo, record your next single, or have a full album produced, Raven Sound Studio has the tools and skills you need to get the job done. For more information, head to www.ravensoundstudio.com to book a session or schedule a tour. Were you excited at the idea of moving? I mean, was that a thing for you again? Were you ready to leave Arizona again? Or were you just kind of like, this is just the next step? Did you have an end game in your mind? Or was it just about the journey at the time? Um, I think it was both. I mean, I the, the years that I spent at ASU were awesome. Um, I made a lot of awesome friends that I, I'm a, a handful I still talk to regularly. Um, and it was just like the most free I've ever been, probably. Yeah. You know, no worries. School was so easy for me. Uh, rent was, you know, my life was so cheap. Yeah. And, um, and it was great. Now you're a grown up and you look back at those days and you go, oh my <laughs> gosh. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. And, but I, I mean, I loved like those people. I, lo I loved the people I was with. I loved where I was. Like, I love Arizona. Right. But also part of me at the same time was like, I want to... Um, I just want to see how far this can go. And, um, I was like, maybe I'll go over here. And then like, I was fat, like infatuated with Hans Zimmer and, yeah. 
the work he was doing, and I'm even like more blown away by the stuff he's done. He was definitely my favorite. And I know... So you were um, really looking at the, like you said, film score composition kind of lane at that yeah, time. Yeah, like, I just, I've always liked music that makes you feel something. And if I, you know... Amen. If, I, if, I'm, if I'm listening to something and I don't know how I'm supposed to feel, uh, like if it's too ambiguous or if it's just not, like, interesting enough, you know, I can't get into it. But especially with the people that are at the very top of like the film composition world, it's all about emotion and like making you feel something that the dialogue and like setting maybe can't do by itself. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I don't know any st- film, anyone, anyone in or anywhere could name without giving kudos to the way the sound design and the production of, of, you know, the music behind the scenes makes you feel and how it rounds yeah. out a film to the best possible way. Yeah, there, there's one movie, there's only one movie I know of that doesn't have a score, and it's awesome because of it in the same way. Uh, no Country for Old Men. Yeah, I, don't I was think there's any... just going to say, <laughs> Yeah, I'm so there, glad there I was right my... on that one. <laughs> but but it's, and that's a whole other thing. Yeah. Like, you can get into that, like, they do that so you can really hear the footsteps. Right. And then, like... It was like, a very it's... intentional call for the de- for what they were putting out. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but, like, in true Zach Reynolds fashion, I get there, and uh, Boston was amazing. I was living in Fenway. Uh, I had like a basement apartment. And so it was like not terribly far from school, like a 20 minute walk or so. Um, But since I was like basement level, like I had a window that would like see feet. You know what I mean? (laughs) It was like, I would love it if you got to know people by their shoes. You're like, oh, that's the lady that always comes by in three inch heels. And there's the guy carrying his groceries and loafers. (laughs) it, It was, it was great because like there were, the apartment was not gross. And the only reason why I was able to be there was because the people that could afford like like the first and like second and third story apartments, like they didn't want to live underground. Right. You know, yeah, but, people like, like but natural light and windows, but you're like, I'm good. I get out and walk every day. I go to school. And by the time I, I, I come home, yeah. I don't want to be bothered with light. Yeah, I don't. Anyway, so I don't. It was great. Boston was great. Um, but yeah, I, I took a film scoring class and I learned about the industry and uh, and it wasn't for me. I learned, you know, you have to write very quickly. And I understand a lot of it. Like, I learned a lot about it. it, it you know, um, there's a process of getting a temp score from like the music director or right. whoever. And then they kind of go off of that for the most part. I think Maybe not if you're. I'm sorry to interrupt you. I think there's a really important point in there that I, I really admire you in saying because I think so often people make a leap like I'm going to go to this new school with conviction and excitement and you do all the work and the prep work and then you get there. And I think oftentimes people, for lack of a better word, cave to what they have pre-designed as expectation. And when they get in the moment and say, oh, it's not what I thought. And now that I'm learning more about it, maybe it's not my thing. It's a really brave move to address that because you've uprooted your whole life, you know, based on an idea. I had no idea what I was going there for. Yeah. You know what I mean? I thought I did, but I I was just there and I knew I wanted to take full advantage of my time there. Yeah. Um, I knew, like, I started in the summer semester, so I started in June, like mm-hmm. May or June. And, and then I went three semesters a year and just went straight. I mean, you're going to pay for rent in your apartment. And, right. you know, I just, I'd already gone through four and a half years of undergrad. I was like, 
So I went to so much school. Yeah. It's insane. And no one, I, you are I know very I went, well educated. I went to a lot of college, you know, like eight years of college down the drain, like that joke from Animal House. I think about that because that's how long I was an undergrad for. I mean, I got two degrees, but eight years. Yeah. Eight years. I'm, yeah, I'm Belushi, I guess, yeah. in a way. But um, you're very well educated. That's what we're going to say. I, yeah. Very broadly. Yeah. yeah broadly. Like liberal and, and, arts. Yeah. Like poster child. That's um, wonderful. So, but yeah, I was there. I want to take full advantage of so it. What'd so what'd you do? Yeah. So what was the, so, oh gosh, this isn't for me. Now what? Well, I was already planning when I got there. I was like, I'm going to do film scoring and then I'm going to double major in one of the studio-based majors. And you have to apply to the studio-based majors once you're there, like half at the end of your first semester. Oh, so you can't apply going in. It, they need to no. see who you are first. Yeah, they want to see, they want to make sure like you have decent grades or whatever. Right. Basically, there's just, there's only so many studios at the school and there's only so many hours a day. So they can only block out for so many, you know. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. And so I just applied to both, uh, not really understanding the difference. They're wildly different. Like, like one is like electronic sound design and, you know, like synth world and doing crazy things with that kind of technology. Yeah. And the other side is like music production and engineering. It's like, how do microphones work? Like, how do you use a console? How do you, you know, and then we took three classes on mixing, um, you know, a whole bunch of stuff. And and also production too, like uh, how to work with singers. Like there's a class on vocal production and how to communicate your ideas. Thank goodness you took that class. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Um, So anyways, I ended up getting into both. And surprisingly, and I think it was just because I showed up. present yourself. I mean, I'm, I'm, I realized as I was saying that that was like a backhanded compliment because I was like, you must present yourself so brilliantly. And I'm like, we're sitting here talking right now. Of course you do. No, I mean, it's, uh, I mean, I was surprised. Like I wasn't somebody that grew up with like, uh, you know, recording my band in my basement. I did that a little bit in Arizona, but it was just, I didn't, I didn't know what I was doing. Yeah. You know, and then the sound design, synthy stuff, like, I just didn't really understand the difference between the two majors. And I was like, I think either one would be a great combo with film scoring. I was thinking like, all right, Hans Zimmer, I love what he does. And like, he makes those weird synthy sounds. Like he's cool because it's like, it's not, he doesn't play like a million notes most of the time. His scores are, you know, more simple. Melodically. Yeah. It, I mean, the, the the hooks and the melodic motifs are very powerful, but Absolutely, it's not Absolutely, but like, it's, not, it's not convoluted with a whole bunch of up and down and no, sideways and, you know, flirtations yeah, of every kind of note. No, it's not like John Williams, who is yeah. also amazing. But, yeah. you know, he, Star Wars is also largely music that comes from or inspired by Stravinsky. Like, so like very out there, you know, and it's just like a world of difference. Like you're getting like tension from, you know, yeah, Anyways. well, two different artists. You know, that's the beauty of it. That's the that's the thing we all love about music. Yeah, and so one thing led to another, and I just I fell, um, I just fell in love with really like the teachers and the engineering program, the production. I felt like every second of every day of every class was like so it was just structured so well that you know I was get, like my time was well spent. There, I and love I re- hearing that. I wish that for every college student ever. Wouldn't yeah, it, you it was, know, isn't it fascinating to think you went somewhere, an institution, to learn what you wanted to learn, but you were m- completely motivated and inspired by the people teaching you? That's ideal. It was, yeah, it was awesome. I mean, there's things that weren't awesome all the time, of course. You know, there's That's some life. things that you, they get very mathy at first, you know, and we had to do, like, logarithms as far as, like, 
would you know like never gonna need that in a <laughs> studio you know no one ever busts out like a graphing calculator yeah no, like, I've placing never seen microphones. it so when we were working together in nashville i wasn't like you gonna pull out that calculator to find out no what yeah no it's probably just i mean it's a school they have to feel like they're you know whatever yeah. um but no it was great and honestly maybe best three years of my life i don't know it was super fun it was amazing to be in that city um and as you were doing I mean, it, did you start to see more shape for yourself in a career path or yeah, was that I mean, not yet it, transpiring for you yet? The further I got into the major and the more I talked to people, um, yeah, it, I became more aware of like what my options were and, you know, music is anything you want to do probably in any creative field. There's no set path. Right, hundred percent. That's why I talk to people every week who make that point exactly. <laughs> no, but but I think that there's things you can do that you know put you that set you up better for like the chance of success. Absolutely. Right? So so you you know you're looking at what people used to do, and obviously the music industry had changed a lot from like you know let's say the '50s up through maybe 2000 ish. It like if you wanted to be a, a you know, a recording engineer or a producer, like probably the best thing you could do was, you know, get an entry level job at a recording studio. Right. Uh, you know, you and so that's what I did. I when I graduated, I got a job at, um, in Los Angeles. It was this studio called Henson, which was I didn't uh, know that. Yeah, I was you there for eleven. Did I know that? Yeah, I was. I maybe probably I mentioned it a lot, but uh, <laughs> maybe I did <laughs> but, know that. I feel like I would have remembered that about you. I've recorded at Henson. That's why I asked. I mean, or that's it's, why I'm surprised. Uh, it's ama- It's honestly like one of the best facilities in the world. Yeah. It's like, it's beautiful. And it's... It's inspiring um, for sure. Yeah, it, it was, uh, like for those who don't know, it's called Henson now because it was, you know, it's owned by the Jim Henson Company. But before that, for decades, it was A&M. Um, you know, a that's classic right. label and studio where, right. you know, they did We Are the World, the police recorded there, Tom Petty recorded there. and then People no one has ever like, heard of. Yeah. No, it was like in my, in a way, it was like one of the rock and roll studios, like anywhere. Like Rage Against the Machine recorded there, and yep. Incubus, like later on, and like all these things, and um, and it was incredible just to walk through the doors. I think I was too. There were two things that happened when I was there in L.A. Um, and it was the world was shifting, and or had shifted, and do you like mean the like LA technologically, scene, or do you mean in a mu- like in a music, way? like okay. like when I grew up, you know, if you listen to the radio, like top forty or whatever, you're gonna hear a lot of like bands, you know, like U two was my favorite band when I was a teenager, and then like Coldplay was a band, right? You know, both great, um, or wh- whoever it was, like even like the more poppy stuff, you know, was still had like drums, and then like someone playing electric guitar <laughs> and acoustic guitar or a piano. Yeah. Right. And then, but when I graduated in 2013 and I'm out in Los Angeles and like, that's not on the radio at all. No. You know, and not only is it not top 40, but there's not another station out there, even in LA that's playing like modern music, like new. Yeah. Um, that's like that. You know, if you want to listen to like rock music, unless you're listening to the Arctic Monkeys, like there was no. That I was, was going to say that's that in that exact period of time. That's what I was just thinking about is that rock and roll pretty much fell off the map for the pop. You know, the Disney era of I mean, and that might even be the tail end of the big Disney era because I I want to say maybe that was the 
five to eight years before that. But that took over and all those great big rock bands and all those kind of legendary, you know, guys that stand up there with instruments and write and sing songs and, you know, play rock shows were not the big people at that moment. No, it was. And and so it wasn't like I I wasn't enjoying it. Yeah. Not I don't know. I mean, anyway, I had an entry level job. My job consisted of like getting food for people and like cleaning up the building. Right. And that's what you do. And I knew, and I knew that's what you do. Yeah. Um, and I didn't have a problem that I was doing that. Cause I, I know that's just like what everybody does when you want to get your foot in the door, especially in the entertainment industry. Right. Um, and, but I was looking at the people that were above me and like the engineers and for the most part, like nobody seemed happy. Nobody seemed content. The hours are insane. I mean, the hours of an engineer or anybody in music, it's always a little weird. I kind of like that. Talk about that, because that's something I don't think we've ever discussed on this, and it's such a valid point. Yeah, so I'll talk about L.A., and then I'll talk about Nashville, uh, which is where I'm at now, right? So in L.A., um, you know, it, it may have been different in the past, but from my understanding is it hasn't really ever been too different you know, people can start recording at any hour of the day, mm-hmm. you know, whatever you want. Like, if you want to start at 10 in the morning, cool. You know, people will probably get there at 8 and, like, start getting, you know, situated and ready. Um, or you could start at, you know, 11 p.m. at night or right. at, like, 3 a.m. Right, right. I don't think most people um, are aware of that. I have been yeah, in like, situations where I was with an artist and they're like, come on, we were all out at the club. And, and she was like, we're going to go to the studio. I'm course. like, it's 1 o'clock in the morning. She's like, and? Yeah, we're going I know, to the studio. Exactly. Oh, and sometimes okay. You, <laughs> and it's like, you know, kudos to you if that's when you're creative and you have all the money to make that happen. And that's yeah. great, you know, that you're able to do that. And you're going to have like insanely talented people there to support you. Right. But um, like on the other side of the glass or are the people who were like me and... You know, I've already been at the studio like 90 hours this yeah. week. Maybe I didn't really sleep the night before. And maybe you'd it's like to 11 go home and p- go to bed. <laughs> yeah, it's like 11 p.m. And like we've just cleaned the building. And then we get a call from like a pop artist or a hip hop artist. That would have and they been come my in. friend. <laughs> yeah. And, and and it's just like I was within a year. I was over it. Burnt. I was so yeah. over it. And so my, my lease was coming up on my apartment, which was it was gross. I lived in Hollywood, like the heart of Hollywood. It was so like... I was maybe a mile away from the studio. Yeah. So I, I was a block it's a north. Dirty. I don't think people realize that about Hollywood either. And they've they've done a lot of work to try and clean it all up and make it a little ritzier, like a Las Vegas vibe. But it there Not was, where I lived. No. Hollywood is actually, I appreciated it more, honestly, when it was a little dirty. Now it just feels a little slimy. But um, it, yeah, I mean, it, 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 it has rough, seedy, dark corners, that place. <laughs> yeah. I, I, so I lived one street north of like the Walk of Fame. Yep. And like in between like High, Highland and Cahuenga, I believe. Yep. <laughs> um, and um, it was super gross. Uh, like, uh, not that you super need it, but like the air conditioning didn't work. Um, so you, you don't need that much in LA. No, but maybe a you do now. when you do, you know? Yeah. Like we turned it on the first night cause we moved there in the summer and we woke up in the morning and it had just like sprayed water all over like the living room. Oh like, like gosh. after an hour, it just started like spewing water uh. and like, 
I think it took him like months to get that fixed. And then when it got cold, which it doesn't get that cold, but it gets cold for like a week, right. in like January or February. <laughs> yeah. um, we turn on the heat. The heat doesn't work. Yeah. And like half the half the power. And your landlord is like, hey, I got oh, 10 no, other people like, that would live in your place. It, so worst don't place me. I've lived. It's gross. <laughs> like uh, the landlord was terrible. Yeah. It's uh, it, but it was but he was the only person that would let me sign a lease that without like uh, pay stubs in the state. You know, and I was like, cool, I could do other places would let me do like wouldn't even let me do a cosign. My dad was like, I'll cosign. You're moving to L.A. for a job. Like, what am I worried about? Yeah. Um, And but for most of the apartments that at least I was aware of and that I tried to apply to, which was like all over the city. Right. um, And the valley. um, And at this point, you're not even getting your hands on the board, right? Because you're more of a PA in the studio. Yeah. Like not even. uh, Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, it was just, a, <laughs> all, it, it was what, just, a, what's, what's below a PA? <laughs> no, I mean like PAs, like there's people that do that and they, if you're a PA for a good person, that could be like a great, like lifelong career totally. or a side hustle or whatever. Yeah. Um, and, but yeah, I mean, I was just getting food and cleaning up and like, and you know, if somebody wanted to, you know, get a cheeseburger from here and then like a, a salad from over there and, you know, and it better be hot, you know yeah. what I mean? I got into the first car accident of my life on a food run there on my birthday. Oh, August that's 1st. a bad day. <laughs> yeah, August 1st, 2013, I had $300 worth of pizza in my car from this place called Moza or Oh, Mas- Mazza Moza Pizza, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's on Melrose. It's on Melrose La- and Highland, I think. Or is it La Brea? I, yeah, it's I think La- it's La Brea. But yeah. it's, yeah, around, around there. And they were, you know, the assistant on Great the session chef. and... It's a great yeah, I mean, chef. The They're food, famous for the, their pizza. The food is great. All of that is true. Yes. The food's amazing. And the artist and the engineer that I was getting food for were like s- some of my heroes too. So like I just, I wanted to do a good job. I wanted to impress these people. Yeah. And then people were like, where's the food? Why is it taking so long? And so, okay, here's a secret. Let me tell you something. Uh, nobody <laughs> really discusses we're exclusive. this. If you ever find yourself, um, you know, as a client in a Los Angeles recording studio, um, and you order food from somewhere. I don't know how much this has changed pre-COVID or post-COVID, right. but through like the dawn of time up until like coronavirus, for sure, if you ordered food, what would happen is like the assistant would write down your order. It would be given to a food runner. That food runner would now call a restaurant and then immediately leave, go to the restaurant. Um, there's no parking in LA. True. You know what I mean? If, if there's street parking, you probably have to pay for it. The True. runner is paying for that themselves. They are not getting reimbursed for that. Uh, no way. Not, really? not happening. Oh, no. You get wow. you get reimbursed for like mileage, but like it's just like pick and choose your battles. Yeah. Totally. So like I'm gonna put a quarter <laughs> into the machine. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like I'll put a quarter into the machine or whatever, and it like it just like cool. Like I can't wait to not do this ever again. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> you go in, you you get the food in your hands, and then before you leave the restaurant, in front of the entire restaurant. You have to check every item of food. Oh, because op- you don't want to go back with your tail between your legs, forgetting no, the salad. No, you'll get yelled at. The, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You check it. You write their name on it. Cross it off your list. And and like sometimes it's hard to check the food. Like uh, in and out. If you if you order in and out and you right. which is great. And now you're in the drive-through and someone's like no onions and you open up the like the wrapper and you can't tell if there's onions in there. You're getting cheese on your fingers. Like I'm sorry, but if you ordered food. Yeah. Like depending, my my fingers were in people's food. Like I'm sorry, I, not all the time. I didn't strive to do it. I tried to be as clean as possible. But like you, did, like 
if somebody had been an engineer like on staff, yeah, and then they sent me on a food run, like you know what you're asking me to do. Oh if my you're just, gosh! I never even thought just, of that perspective. That's so funny. <laughs> mo- if, if it's a burrito, like we wouldn't open it up. Right. Like it's it's you, gone. You it's, created it is, boundary lines. <laughs> but <laughs> but pretty much anything that anything that wasn't a burrito or like a wrap, like we would open it up. If it was a sandwich, you would take the bread off and look. You know, if there was like something like no onion or like extra cheese or you know oh something. Oh my gosh! So um, yeah, you were like, I never want to do this job again. This is not what I signed no. up for. Anyways, I don't know how we go. Oh, so that's like the life of LA. Yeah. It just, and it wasn't, it wasn't I, filling your soul. It wasn't filling your soul, my soul. And I forget exactly how it, we were, we got to this topic, but I know there was, I wanted to talk about the dichotomy of that versus Nashville, which is where I ended up. Yeah. Well, well whole, that's where we whole, were going. Right. So the whole time I was in LA, I was, uh, I kept in touch with a handful of friends I mean, a bunch of friends from Berkeley. I mean, the be- the best thing about going to a school like Berkeley or, I mean, it's the same thing if you go to Belmont, which is a Nashville mm-hmm. music school, um, or anywhere, USC, I'm sure. Yeah, the, the uh, Alumni Association and the nepotism that comes with that in the long run. Yeah, it, yeah. It, I wish there was a better word for it. But it, it is really... <laughs> but, it, well, I mean, you hire what you know, and if you know somebody has come up through the ranks of a caliber institution and you know that they're going to know these things, well, that makes so a good that, fit, you know? Yeah, so that's like the uh, yes, there's that and 100%. I would I so I knew people that lived in LA, I knew that people that lived in New York, I knew people that lived in Atlanta. Um and I was talking to my friends in Nashville and I was like, how often are you working with people, you know, playing music together in a room? And they're like every day. Yeah. Every day. And the other kicker was uh, I mean LA is less expensive, uh you make a little bit less money or uh, Nashville's oh, Nashville is less expensive. Yeah. You make a little bit less money, but the biggest thing also is uh, Nashville was and kind of is still a like a union based town. Interesting. L- like not for engineers. Like yeah. no one cares about <laughs> engineers. But but like the musicians. Like if you're going to go do a record, for the most part, um, it's very common to be like, all right, we're going to hire like union session players, like the drummer. Right. And there's, um, it's a community, and they're all super friendly. And but the biggest thing is like they're like, all right, we're going to work more or less in like these three hour blocks. Right. So, you know, everyone's there early to get sounds and get situated and make sure all their stuff's working. But it's kind of a machine. There's um, and it makes everyone have like more of an opportunity to have a life. I was just going to say that's one of the, the traits, I believe, that I have adopted so well from Nashville, just being there, visiting there, working with other writers there. and. And it happens a lot in L.A. as well, but on a different time frame. But I I do think in both those cities in the professional music world, people operate from a mindset of like a corporate world. Like it is get in there, be prepared. You have this many hours, get the job done. Whereas when I've been in some places, maybe like New York or possibly Atlanta, it's a little more free. And L.A. is guilty of this too, but like a little more free form. The artist shows up when they kind of feel like it, even if it's three hours late and everybody's waiting and then time gets longer than you thought it would. And all. Nashville yeah. does a very good job of keeping and the union is a really interesting aspect of that, which I had it, to put I together. Mean, it, it's fantastic for everybody. I mean, yeah. even as when I, I moved to Nashville and I quickly uh, got, a, I interned at a studio and interned at Starstruck Studios, okay. which was awesome. Like best place in town to intern at. If anyone's listening, that's where you should <laughs> intern at. 
Um, and then after a couple months of that, there was an opening at Sound Emporium, right? Which is like alleged uh, oldest, um, you know, public studio in it's legendary. Nashville. Yeah, and I wasn't as aware of it as I should have been before I moved to town. But uh, yeah, crazy place, super awesome. That's where we met. Uh, it is where we met, yeah. and it's honestly, it's probably it, it's almost certainly the busiest studio in Nashville. Yeah, um, and it's run and, by Juanita, right? She runs right. it for the most part, Juanita she, Copeland. She's been there um, for a long time, and she's yeah. great. She keeps it busy. Um, she keeps everybody in check, that's for sure. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's insanely busy. It's, you know, it, the rates are a little bit more affordable, so more people can go there than if you were to go to, like, you know, that the fanciest L.A. studio or even a place like Blackbird in right. Nashville. Like, Blackbird's every other... Most of the bigger studios are, you know considerably more expensive than Sound Emporium. Right. For I don't know why. I don't think they offer more. Thank you for joining us for part one on The Creative Convergence with our guest, Zach Reynolds. Please be sure to tune in on Friday for part two with this incredible guest. everybody today's episode is brought to you by the raven cafe located at 142 north cortez street in historic downtown prescott arizona i love this place i eat there all the time and let me tell you why the raven cafe features a full all organic espresso bar and a wide variety of craft beers and wines their innovative menu is created with a focus on organic ingredients many of which come from local sources. So head on over there. Enjoy a relaxing and comfortable environment decorated with rotating art shows by local and regional visual artists. And on the weekends, a lineup of the best in up-and-coming local music. You don't want to miss out on the Raven Cafe. It's absolutely one of my favorite spots in town. So head on over to ravencafe.com and order online or stop by to catch a happy hour on their beautiful rooftop patio. Thank you for listening to The Creative Convergence, coming to you from Raven Sound Studio in historic downtown Prescott, Arizona. Are you a professional in the arts and would like to share your story with us or a company that would like to advertise with us? Shoot us an email at contact at ravenproductionsmedia.com. Help support the arts by becoming a Raven Productions member. To get your perk card and be the first to know about all of our upcoming promotions, events, and online programming, your membership will directly support the arts programs in our schools. Sign up today at ravenproductionsmedia.com. Until next time, be safe and enjoy the journey.